You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. The, the topic that uh, I, the topic I chose for today is one which is uh, exceedingly complex and um, and full of nuance, and also a question to which, uh, even in terms of the mafarshim. Um, that we're going to be uh, using, very difficult to make definitive statements. And, uh, but nevertheless, it's worthwhile to understand, to see some of the source material and to see some of the questions. So my, my goal will be to uh, you know, sensitize this to be a collaborative effort to look at the sources and to be sensitive to what's going on and perhaps also the broader, uh, the broader implications uh, throughout the tour. So the starting point will be a, uh, a pasuk in this week's <clears throat> parsha, And it says, uh, second, let me just, Zeit Lukol over so the part that interests us is that that the uh, that what's going to be used is the machatzit shekel, which is b'shekel hakodesh. The machatzit shekel b'shekel hakodesh, and there's going to be the weight, right? Again, the machatzit shekel truma tashem. So there are many parts of this of this pasuk which are uh, very difficult. Uh, the, the part that we're going to focus on, I'd like to focus on today, is this part here, Ahatzit Shekel. So the Torah uses this term when it says that the I'm sorry, the Ahatzit Shekel, the Shekel of Kodesh. So the Torah uses the qualifier on the Shekel, calling it a Shekel Hakodesh. Question at hand is, what makes this shekel a shekel hakodesh? So if you look at Rashi, Rashi says nothing. Let me just change my pointer here a second. So if you look at Rashi for an answer to the question, you're going to look in vain. He says nothing. Um, similarly, with um, the given, this, given that this is such a, a short presentation, um, so if we look at the other Mefarshim, similarly, we don't get a lot of information about why this shekel is called a shekel hakodesh. Why is it a shekel hakodesh? We can look in last week's parsha for a clue. Again, the Sita Big Day Kodesh, Laron, Achicha, Lachavod, Elisifaris. So we should make Big Day Kodesh, you should make Big Day Kodesh, Aaron Gachicha, Lachavod, Elisifaris. So there are really two parts in this Pasuk, really have the same question. There are two modifiers here. When it comes to the Bigadim, they're called Big Day Kodesh, similarly. And the purpose is Rambam here, 
focuses on the Chavod and Sepharis. Very, very interesting, very, very important, important Ramban. It does not address this question, Big Day Kodesh. Why are they called Big Day Kodesh? Ibn Ezra, I'm sorry, and Rashi as well, does not help us with this question. Very fundamental question. It's very interesting. Why would it be that this is not addressed by the Mepharshim? It's pretty fundamental. What does it mean that something is Kodesh or Kadosh? Ibn Ezra addresses it. He says, Basita Big Day Kodesh, Nikro Uchain, Bavur, Shishartu Behem, Bimakom, Akadosh. They're called this way because you will serve in them in a place which is Kadosh. So the Benezra is telling us it's associative. At least this Benezra is going to be a continuation. This part of the Benezra, he's telling us it's associative. In other words, it's not, in other words, the Begadim do not have an seemingly don't have an inherent quality of being Kadosh. That's not why they're called Kadosh. But rather, it's associative. They're being, they're called Kadosh because they're used in a place which is Kadosh. So it's associative according to the Benezra. So the problem with this, the problem with this Ibn Ezra, which is that although we think he's answering the question, he's only kicking the can down the road because the same question that we would ask about the, that I just asked about the big decoders and the Shekel HaKodesh, the Venezuela hasn't really answered because he's telling us, oh, because it's being used in the Makom HaKadosh. Okay, so why is that Makom Kadosh? In other words, why is this Makom called the Makom HaKadosh? In other words, how, how far down do you want to kick, the, kick this can down the road? Because ultimately, I, ha I still have to understand, okay, so why, if I don't care this, if I say the baggage is Kadosh, not because it's inherently Kadosh, but it's used in a place which is Kadosh. Okay, Shkayach, but why, why is that place Kadosh? Why is that place Kadosh? What about it makes that place Kadosh? We don't know. But in any event, the, the, in this case, at least the Beged is, it, even if you were to say that the Ibn Ezra would say that the Makom is Kadosh, it is due to some inherent quality, the Begadim not. Because big them are Kodesh only because they are associated with. Again, I, I can't speak this definitively. I can just try to send, you know, show you at least questions that I have. I can't speak definitively, even in terms of interpreting the Benezer. The next thing to Benezer says that he gives an alternative approach, although there, and he quotes a classic from Yechezkel, again, seems to mean if you look at the translation, we shouldn't sanctify them with, with their big adim. Gemara and Yoma that speaks about it. It doesn't seem that sanctify is the right translation in this case, but something will happen with the garments, or they're going to touch the Kohen, the garments will touch the, the garments of the, um, uh, the, the whole garments, the regular garments, and somehow that's going to be Matame, the begutting of the um, uh, Matame, the, 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 the holy garments. Uh, very, very, very not clear. And looking he, over in Yechezkel, also not, not clear at all in the Farshim there. Even, you know, at least in the superficial look at Gemar Yuma that discusses it, it's not really clear. It's not really clear. So, 
the place to look really here is in this Ramban. In the Ramban, in our part, should include Machsik Vesheka, Vesheka Lakodesh. Um, so let's take a look at what the Ramban says. Should I, should I make the text larger? Or should I zoom in more? I could do that. Come um, touch it. I'll, I'll, I'll zoom in a little bit larger. Not accomplishing anything. Okay. Oh, there it goes. All right. I'm just hesitating here. It touched the screen here on this. It just makes the, um, I want to get it higher. Okay. Maxi Tesheko, Tesheko Lakodesh, Ramban. So, first, the Ramban uh, skips about, uh, it says, Kabbalah Moshe Rabbeinu, Matbea Kesev, Yisrael. So Moshe was a great melech, so that's why he said that's why he was designated this coin, whatever that means. Um, I don't know if that Moshe did it was Kovei or, or I, I would have put God as doing. I don't really understand that. But anyway, shekel. He calls this coin a shekel. The mishkal shalem that it's all one complete weight. Einvo pachut v'lo kesev sigim. It doesn't have any defects in it. I guess you know normally with the coin that's being handled, uh, that there, there's wear there's wear and tear on the coin, and the coin is not going to have its true weight, right? V'lo kesev sigim. It doesn't have impurities in it, which means again, um, it's to tell you that it's that it's pure. Okay. So he says, because the, the, uh, the things that are weighted for Arachim, for values, for Pidyon HaBachor, or for redeeming uh, firstborn, the Matbeyahu are used with this coin, Shehem Kadosh, and these are things which are Kadosh. Right, and all other um, silver, designated silver, weighter, the weight of a silver, with designated weight, uh, which is said in the Torah, literally. So therefore, the Torah calls it a shekel hakodesh. Again, seemingly like that first part of Yibin Ezra, because it's association with these other things, which are kodesh, right? Or kadosh, whatever the whatever the uh, vocalization is here, right? So these things are kodesh. So therefore, similarly, that's why the shekel is kodesh. So in other words it would seem that the, the Rabban is saying that it's a mundane object, it's, a, it's an ordinary object, but once it's been designated or used for a particular purpose, it has the status of being kadosh, right? Now, whether that gives it some sort of an inherent quality once it gets that status is another matter, but in any event, he says that Shekel HaKodesh, seemingly because it's of the, of its, what it's associated with. So that becomes a little bit more clear in the next part of the Ramban. It says, 
And similarly, that's the reason I believe. In other words, now when Ramban uses these types of terms, etzli, that's an indication that Ramban is saying something original, not based on a source or an explicit source, but based on something that he believes to be true, based on his broad knowledge of Torah in general. And, and for the Ramban, that was, of course, Ramban's knowledge was astounding. Um, he says, why, why is the Lashon HaTorah called Lashon HaKodesh? It's because that the words of Torah and Nebuot, and all the words of Kedusha, right? Kedusha, they were all said in this language, right? So again, we're getting back to the associative idea that what's done is that you have a language which gets that quality because of what it's been used for. It's the language that the Kodesh Baruch Hu uses when he speaks with his prophets and with his congregation and with his, you know, with his people. That's the language he uses. So he gives examples. The other Dibrot of the Torah are used in this language. Not only that, but God's own names are Hebrew words, according to Ramban. Uh, just a second. He gives, he gives the different names of Kodesh Baruch Hu, Demogadolam Yuchad, Ubobara Olamo. That's the language he were used to create his world. So keep that in mind, because again, I'm just trying to show you, because I, I personally I find all of this extremely difficult. I can't make definitive statements about any of it. I'm just trying to read it with you, along with you, just struggle along with you. And with it, he created his world. Now, I don't, again, I'm trying to understand that a little bit because if that's the language with which he created the world, it would seem that it's not just like any other language because it was there before there was language, right? Before there's other languages exist, before there was Chinese, right? Before there was Chinese before there was any other early language, to say nothing of ancient Semitic languages like uh, Syriac and Ugaritic, etc. But it's the language according to Ramban. So, it, it, so we see that according to Ramban, it seems to, again, I'm not quite sure how, how to square it, but the Ramban versus saying those when we take the shekel, you take an ordinary shekel, which is, you know, you have five shekel in your pocket and you take 
they're ordinary shalim. They were they were made wherever they were made for whatever purpose they were made. And you grab one of them. Now you use it for. Uh, now you're you're using it for a certain purpose. It becomes shekel akodim. The uh, the Ramban, by the way, when he speaks about the big day kahuna, the Ramban says when it's lechavod atifares. The Ramban there says that the begotting were derivative. He says the Ramban says that um, that these were the costumes that were worn by the Bnei Malachim, that the royal uh, royalty wore these costumes at that time. That's what it means, what does it mean? It means it's going to give honor to the Kohanim who wear it, because again, it's associative, that when the people look at the Kohen and they're wearing these garments, which are associated with royalty, then, then the person himself will be associated with royalty, right? And so the Ramban is saying that the uh, big day kahuna, again, are associative, that basically, that it would seem that the Ramban is saying there that the content of Torah is affected by the culture within which the Torah was given, right? The Torah was given within a certain culture where royalty happened to wear certain costumes. And the Ramban goes, takes each costume and explains why it, it worn, wore those costumes. It would seem that the Ramban is saying, so that's why it's not enough to say, I mean, I'm, I'm reading between the lines, but it's not enough to say that that's what the, um, um, that's why the Kohanim wore it. But also you would have to say that it would seem to me that you would have to say that therefore we see that the, that the content of Tarish itself is shaped by the culture within which it was given. So it's hard to exactly understand how then, what exactly predates that culture. In other words, like what came first? Was it the culture, at least when it came, I understand there would have to be a concept that the Kohanim would be wearing clothing that would cause the people to look at them in a certain way. But is the particular clothing that the costume that they would be wearing going to be dependent on the culture? In other words, let's say the Torah would have been given in China. Would they have been wearing silk and having completely different costumes? I don't know, but I'm just mentioning it in terms of the Ramban and in terms of this broader question, in terms of this broader question. So I'm kind of puzzled by the Ramban saying that the, that the, that the world was created with this language, which would seem to mean it has an inherent special magical quality to it. But again, I don't know. Ukara Shemot Shemayim Ba'aretz V'chol and he called the names of the Shemaim and Aretz and everything that's in it. Okay, so again, so the Ramban is saying, so to show you, I think, another, there's another Ramban that we have to look at to show how, just keep in mind this Ramban where he says here that the world was created with this language, which would seem to indicate that it would predate cultures, according to Ramban. Let's take a look here at this Ramban in Bereshis. It's speaking about it's the story of when Yosef is uh, speak, revealing himself to his brothers. Right, very strange 
verse again, that your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Binyamin, that the mouth, the mouth of one who's speaking to you, or my mouth is the one that's speaking to you, however you translate it. What does that mean? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I mean, obviously, what do you mean? You're looking at somebody, and uh, yeah, so they can see your mouth is moving, and assuming you're not a ventriloquist, yeah. So okay, so the sound is coming from your mouth. You're the mouth is speaking. So what does that prove? It doesn't prove anything. You know, how 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 would this be? Yosef is is expressing this as some sort of a proof that he is in fact a brother. That somehow this should be convincing. Why is that convincing? Makes no sense. So Rashi says, What it means is not that my mouth is speaking with you, but by the language that's coming out of my mouth, which happens to be Lashon HaKodesh. So in other words, it would seem that according to Rashi, the fact that he's speaking Lashon HaKodesh is an indication that, oh, this must be Yosef. Because nobody except Yosef could be speaking this language. Or, I don't know, maybe nobody except uh, a, 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 a Jew of that time could be speaking this language. Other words, like according to Rashi, this was a, this was, this, this, this is a very impressive thing. Rashi first says he also showed him the circumcision. Presumably that maybe that was also something that was unique. And, um, but in any event, according to Rashi, Lashon HaKodesh, right? Okay. Let's look at Ramban. That's So they fill in here, Rashi, Ibn Ezra, Radak. Um, Ibn Ezra, actually doesn't use that term of Kodesh, but he says, um, but you, we don't have time for now, but if you take a look at the Ibn Ezra, in any event, it seems that it's from, from the language he's speaking. So in any event, but without necessarily calling it Kodesh. So in any event, so uh, Targum, so, so the Ramban starts off by quoting um, the Mepharshim. Whether he had Rashi, Ibn Ezra, and Radak in mind, we don't know. But at least the in the uh, in Al Hatara Mikrot Kedolot, that's what they chose to put into parentheses as the uh, Mefarshim, who perhaps the Ramban was referring to. Yitachin she'amar lehem kach la'amasla l'piyus. So the Ramban is saying it's possible he said it to them as some sort of uh, appeasement or some sort of hint. Why? In other words. Not like what Rashi says, that it's a definitive proof. Now, maybe, maybe he said it only as, 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 some, as some sort of a way of just uh, ingratiating himself or just uh, hinting at something. Why? Says it doesn't. It's no. It's it's not uh, evidential at all. That a person, one person in Mitzrayim would speak Lashona, would, would speak Lashona Kodesh, doesn't prove anything. Why? Because in my opinion, again, Aldati, Huspat Kanan, it is the language of Kanan. 
In other words, it's the language of that geographical location, right? It's the native language of that area. Ki Avram lohivio me urkazdim, umicharon, ki aramiti. He says, it wasn't something that Avraham brought with him from Urkazdim, the place where Avravinu was, because that was our, our Aramit. In other words, what they were speaking in those places was Aramit, not Lashon, what we know today is Lashon HaKodesh. So in other words, it wasn't Avravinu who brought it there. In other words, it didn't originate with Avravinu, but rather Avravinu appeared in this place, went to Canaan, and when he got to Canaan, that's the local language that people were speaking. Uh, and so this gal is going to be the witness. And it's not the language of one individual, Levad. It's the language of Canaan. So here, the Ramban is saying, again, this is the language of Lashon of Canaan. Nothing special. What's, it just, it doesn't, it's the language which happens to be used in Canaan. Now, again, we want to know why it's called Lashon HaKodesh then, right? Again, so that goes back to Ramban. It says it's being used, it's being used for a holy thing. Okay, but let's just read on a little bit. Rabim the Mitzrayim know the Imoto. There are many people in Mitzrayim who know it. Kikarofu. In other words, even though it's a language of Canaan, nevertheless, there are going to be people in Mitzrayim who know it. Why? Because Mitzrayim and Canaan are close to each other. Ba'af ki And especially someone who's the ruler. Shederach ha-malachim ha-moshlim ledat because it's the way of royalty who rule, of kings who rule to know the Shonav. In other words, that was part of, probably until recently, that was part of, 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 of the education of a nobleman is to, was to know languages. So the fact that somebody, that a prince, in the, the prince is gonna know the, the language is, it's not evidentiary at all. What, what does that prove? Proves nothing. Well, it's not evidentiary at all. Maybe it's something to him. The Ramban is trying to understand what it is, but it's definitely not like Rashi. It would seem that the, that the Ramban doesn't 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 agree with these other Rafarshim who seem to say that the fact he was speaking with Shona Kodesh was in and of itself something which was um, evidentiary because it's not. It's not. It's nothing unique. It's not, it's not something which is unique to. Uh, the descendants of Abraham. So then he says, so then he quotes some things from the Bukhanetzer. So I'm going to skip down because we're short on time. So then he gives the, re the real reason what, then he gives the real reason here. Ramban gives the real reason why, how he interprets the Pasuk, according to Pshutosh Mikra. And the Ramban, according to Pshutosh Mikra, says that the, 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 the reason why is, the reason why it, it proves it is because that, um, 
whatever, circumstantially, the things that he said, it's inside knowledge that only Yosef could have known. Okay, fine. So, but the idea that the, that the language itself, in other words, the words that were used, the words that were used according to Ramban, the language that was used, that wasn't what was convincing because there's nothing special about that at all. There's nothing surprising about that at all. Well, what was convincing was the content. All right, so get, let's go back now to our Ramban. I just wanted to put that in context. So now, after he said that the language is also called the Shon HaKodesh, now he quotes the Rambam, the Mar Nebuchim. So he says, Now, I just want to point out to you that um, it's important to know that the Ramban did not read Arabic. So when the Ramban refers to the Mar Nebuchim, is referring to a translation of the Marnabuchim, a translation, a Hebrew translation, which in the Ramban's case, I believe, was the Al-Kharizi translation, which was in its not the Ibn Tibon translation. That's, that's my understanding, which is in itself was in itself a defective translation. So sometimes when the Ramban uh, attacks the Rambam, the possibility exists that that might have been based on one thing that he's reading, looking through the lens of someone else's uh, defective interpretation. And there's actually uh, another factor which the Ritva brings up. The Ritva has a extremely interesting sefer called uh, Sefer HaSikaron. Sefer HaSikaron is devoted to, is the Ritva's defense of the Rambam against the attacks made upon him by the Ramban in his Perush al-Hatorah. Fascinating sefer. One of the reasons it's fascinating, it's almost unthinkable in our times to imagine such a thing. Because the Ritva writes in his introduction, he says, I am a Talmud of the Ramban. The Talmud of the Rashba, who is the Talmud of the Ramban. And he said, personally, I, I go like the Ramban. My approach is the approach of the Ramban. But when I look at the way that the Ramban attacked the Ramban, I, I think he went too far. And therefore, for the sake of the honor of the Ramban, I'm writing this sefer. And he writes it right as introduction, so that's why he's writing the sefer. But as he's writing the sefer to defend the Ramban, even though he really agrees with the Ramban. It's almost, I, I mean, to me, it's unthinkable today, it's such a thing whether it's in the secular world or, you know, in our world, maybe even more so in our world to imagine such a thing. But in any event, and one of the things that the, that the Ritva sometimes says in his defense of the Rambam is to say, after he explains how the Rambam really didn't say what the Rambam thinks he said, he, in one of the places, the, the Ritva says that the Rambam he says, as I recall, the, the Ritva says, he gives an example of a, um, you can have a very, very small person. This is not the exact thing, but something along these lines. You can have a very, very small and insignificant person, and you can have a very, very large and important person, right? And that's the way their status is relative to each other, and their importance is relative to each other. However, it could sometimes be that that small person, that there's one particular thing that this small person 
has spent a lot of has devoted has spent a lot of time studying. And as a result, in this one tiny area, this small person happens to be bigger than the big person. So the Ritva says, he says, that's the way it is with me and the Ramban. He says, I, I can't compare to the Ramban at all. Ramban is, is great, his greatness is beyond anything that I can imagine. Compared to me, I'm nothing. But he says it happens that 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 the it happens that the Ramban, in all of his, his because of his devotion to 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 Gemara and to Kabbalah and all other things and halacha, he didn't really spend any time learning philosophy. But he said, me, the Ritva, I says, I, I did spend time learning philosophy. So in this particular area, this is something where maybe, you know, I, I perhaps I have some, I have some insights, maybe a little bit superior to those of Ramban in terms of how to read the Mardavukhi. Ritva says that explicitly uh, in the, in the Sefer Zikara, very interesting. So anyway, keep that in mind here. Um, there is, by the way, a Sefer Zikara on this Ramban. Now again, we're reading it here in a translation of uh, that the Ramban had of Al-Farizi. We have today other translations. We have actually two. We have the translation, the Kapach translation, this is a modern translation, which is very widely used. And then there's the uh, Rabbi Michal Schwart, the Professor Michal Schwartz translation which uh, came out, I believe, about 15 years ago or so, and which has become, at least in the academic world, the new standard. There's actually an another translation, which is being done now in Eretz Israel, Machbili, uh, I think his name is, uh, Mishnah Torah Shalem. Uh, I don't know if he's gotten, I think he's only in the first, say, for, for a scale, like I don't think he's gone to the third. Uh, but uh, so anyway, let's first at least read it in the way that the Ramban understood it. For our pride, or because we err, and there's what why, or our hubris, what why? Why is it called the Shonakod? Just because we like to think we're better than everybody else, right? Above who, but then it's actually correct. Why? You know, this is not some sort of fantasy of our imagination. It happens to be correct. It happens to be just. Why? Because this language is kadosh. This language is kadosh. What does that mean? It's kadosh. You won't find for the uh, sexual organs. You won't find, uh, there's no word in Hebrew, in, 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 in Ivrit, for the uh, sexual organs. The Zachar Obinikiva, neither male nor female. Whether it's neither to semen nor to uh, urine, Litsoa, feces, Rak Bikinui, they only use um, indirect, they, 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 they only use. Um, I would use, use the word discreet. They, 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 they use euphemisms, right? They're only, it uses euphemisms. Don't, don't, don't let the fact that it actually does say so, use the word shegel in Tehillim. Tehu shame isha hamizumenet limishka. 
it's it's for it's a, a woman who's who is uh, ready for uh, intercourse. Right? So it's, it's and somehow that's according to Rambam that's then that you know that it's not as offensive as referring to the actual act of intercourse. But army Okay, so now there is, it has another context here. So the Ramban, Ramam is saying it doesn't exist. In other words, you think it does, you think it's, it, these things are good, but they don't. Now here's the Ramban's commentary on this. Okay, now I don't know if we're going to get to it, but if we look at the Rambam inside, you will see that, the, that this is not so simple. But in any event, the Ramban answers the Hine in Sarakwatam says there's no reason to for such to give such a reason. She had devar barur shalashon kodesh kodashimhu, that the language is holy of holies. Kamosha Pirashti, as I have explained. Now, I don't know where he explained, I don't know what he's referring to here, but uh, I'm not sure if he's referring to what he said in the paragraph above. If he Said in the paragraph above, again, it wasn't very explicit. But the reason he gives is not is not factual. So we see from there that it is a noun that's used for the act of intercourse. So again, in others, we see from here that it's a, that the fact that they had to use a euphemism here, so we see that that must have been, that can't have been a euphemism itself. He says, not only that, he says, besides from the fact that I don't think that his analysis of the language is correct, that there's no such, that the linguistics are correct, that there's no word for such things, because there is a word for such things. But he says, even if you grant the Rambam this, even if you grant this to the Rambam, that, that his, his analysis of the linguistics is correct, they would call it the clean language, or maybe we could better translate it in this context, the discrete language, right? It would be called the discrete language, it would be called the clean language, but it wouldn't be called the language which is kadosh, right? It wouldn't be called kadosh. So this is very significant because what we see here is that the Ramban, it's more than an issue of a local issue of what, what's special about Hebrew language that it's called Lashon HaKodesh, but rather there's a broader issue of how is the descriptive term kadosh to be used, right? Because he says the descriptive term doesn't fit here. Because even if you grant what he said is correct, but that's not what makes something kadosh. That's what makes it naki. And naki and kadosh are not the same thing according to the Ramban. The inya and shushaninu Right, so referring to the, the Mishnah is speaking to cubic hair, and it says, 
It says until the zakan, until the beard, and then the mafarshim explains the takdom below helion. Right, it's referring to pubic hair, right? But but the but doesn't the chazal didn't want to spell it out. That the or they refer to pubic hair as the as the zakan takdon. So he says that because they spoke in lishon nikia, the language that's used lishon nikia. That's the, that's the that's the descriptor, not kadosh. Right, which is, again is referring to the lishon naki. Right, it's called lishon naki. And similarly in many, many other places. Okay. So the so so here we see the beginning of a very important um, discussion as to what makes something kadosh. And um, I'm sorry, how much more time do we have? I don't see the clock here. That's two oh one. So we're when when are we supposed to stop? Should I stop now? I don't know what time to stop me. You, you can go on as you can go on if you want. It's fine with me. Uh, the Oilum is still, I think, listening and uh, involved. Okay. okay, fine. All right, so we can we can go on. I don't, I don't want to bore anybody. If you want me to go on, or complain. So first of all, I want to show you that. Um, so within the Marnevochim, so I have here the uh, the translation here by. Professor Michael Schwartz. And, um, but I think that for our purposes here, because we want to, our time is short, let's just take a look at the English, the English translation, which is on Safaria, so at least to see the context. So if you look at the context in the Marnevuchim, the Chalakimel Ches, We'll see that in this context, this part of murder, looking the Rambam is giving the Tameh Hamitzvot. And in this particular part, he's discussing um, the he's discussing various things that he believed having to do with uh, sexuality and also having to do with um, the act of sexual intercourse, intercourse, probably, you know. Also, for the Rambam, it would also mean the, the um, ejaculation that, that comes out as a result. And so, man, the shortcomings and sins are all due to the substance of the body and not to its form. All its merits are due to its form. Knowledge of God, formation of his ideas, the master's desire and passion, things between that which is to be chosen, that which is to be rejected. All this man knows his form. But eating, drinking, sexual intercourse, excessive lust, passion, and will vices, their origin in some substance of, of his body. Uh, and it was clear that this was the case. It was impossible, according to the wisdom of God, that substance should exist without form or any of the forms of his body without substance. And it's necessary that the very noble form of man, which is the image of the likeness of God, as the children should be joined to the substance of dust and darkness, but of all defects and looks. For these reasons, the creator gave to the form of man power, rule, and dominion over the substance. The form should subdue the substance, use the fulfillment of its desires, reduce them as far as possible, to adjust in proper measure. Okay, so now he's thinking about reducing another. These are all things which are undesirable in the eyes of the Ramban. All these, all these physical desires, and are things which are um, undesirable. So therefore, we have the ability to uh, uh, engage in self self discipline, 
to not uh, to be the masters of these things and basically to uh, only use these uh, these physical things in moderation, right? The station of man varies according to the exercise of power. Again, this translation is an antiquated translation. It's a Friedlander translation, but there really is no better English translation. The translation, the more modern translation uh, by, uh, by Shalom Pinas is no more readable as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's again, it's very uh, pretentious and flowery. So in any event, it says some persons constantly strive to choose that which is noble, to prefer perpetuation and accordance with the direction of the noble part, the form, the thoughts, the engagement, information, ideas, acquisition, true knowledge about everything. Just going quickly here. So basically to get just the, the gist of what he's saying, because we have to just see, uh, all I want is you can see the context when the Rambam eventually brings this part that the Ramban quotes, you have to see the context. Whenever they're led by the wants of the body, that which is low and valued, disgraceful, their grief, their position, they feel ashamed, confounded, they try to build their mouth to diminish this disgrace, to guard against it, they feel like a person who the king is of anger or to remove refuse from one place to another and to put him into shame. The person tries as much as possible to hide himself during the time of disgrace. He removes blah, blah, blah. That's what a free man will do. And he gives him, goes on and on and on like this. He says, and he says, according to Aristotle, right, this is, this is chiefly the case with the sense of touch, which is a disgrace to us, according to Aristotle which is the cause of our desire for eating, drinking, and sensuality, right? So all this according to the Rambam is bad. And this is something which um, um, really what it's about is for the Rambam is that it's going to detract from, it detracts from thinking about God. It's going to detract from thinking about God. It's really not compatible. It's not compatible to be involved in uh, pleasures of the flesh and, and thinking about pleasures of the flesh, especially if one's preoccupied with pleasures of the flesh, and at the same time, um, being able to have uh, wisdom and a uh, spiritual unification with God's intellect, okay? So intelligent persons must as much as possible reduce these wants, guard against them, feel grieved when satisfying them, abstain from speaking of them, discussing them, attending them in company with others, man. Have control over all these desires, produce them as much as possible, only retain of them as much as, as indispensable. His aim must be the aim of man as man, formation of ideas, nothing else. But that's what man is, according to the Rambam, to form ideas and to and the and put to, and to not be distracted. So basically, if the more that a person is involved in sensuality, then it's going to detract from their ability to form ideas. And, and to perfect his intellect. And remember, God is the perfect intellect. So the more one perfects one's intellect, then the closer one is to God. The best and sublimest among them is the idea which man forms to God's angels, that's the creation according to capacity, such men are always with God. In other words, ones who um, presumably maybe don't have, the angels don't have this sensual desires, don't have physicality. Some such men are always with God, and them it is said, you're princes, you're children of the most high. So that makes you children. This is man's task and purpose. Others, however, that are separated from God form the multitude of fools and do just the opposite. They neglect all thought and all reflection and ideas, consider as their task the cultivation of the senses. They do the opposite. They think about what they can do to enhance their sense of touch. In other words, what can they do to make themselves even more 
uh, desirous of, for instance, sexual activity, or they become, let's say in our terms, they become foodies. They, they read magazines about all these things, about you know, the latest, they have to try the latest thing, the latest thing, the, the latest sensual desire, um, and or you know, taking different things so they could be more, even more receptive and get even more pleasure from uh, sensual activities, whether it's eating, whether it's uh, sexual activity, but we, they think about ways of enhancing it. You know, that's what fools do, right? And again, those are people who are separated from God. So in other words, for the Rambam, it's entirely incompatible. It's entirely incompatible. That sentence is the greatest disgrace and only think that, that think and reason about eating love. That's what they think about reason and love. In other words, they're, they're basically, that's where, that's where their head is going to be. Thus it is said of the wicked who are drowned in eating and drinking in love. They have erred through their wine and through strong drink out of the way, while tables are full of vomit and filthiness, there's no place clean, and women rule over them. The opposite of that man was told in the beginning of creation, the husband shall desire thee and she rule over thee. The intent of their lesson described that's everyone made after his neighbor's wife, they're all adulterous, simply expect with men, et cetera, et cetera, right? So it goes on and on for this for, for a while. And um, uh, who can find a virtuous woman? It's clear what's meant by, by a figurative expression of virtuous woman. When man possesses a good sound body that does not overpower him or disturb the equilibrium in him, he possesses a divine gift. That's his gift. His gift is that he's able to um, rule over, he's able to have self-discipline. In short, a good constitution facilitates the rule of the soul over the body. It's not impossible to conquer a bad constitution by training. However, one could do it through training, right? King Solomon and others wrote the moral lessons, the commandments, and education of the Torah, aim a conquering desire to body up. So we see that according to the Rambam, one of the uh, reasons for the commandments is, right? Really, there are two reasons according to Rambam, I think, two categories. One is to get a better understanding of God, meaning to exclude the type of things that he cannot be. Right, and that's that's why they're so important to rule out all kinds of notions of what is our because it gives us incorrect ideas of the nature of the Kodesh Baruch Hu. And if we have incorrect concept of the Kodesh Baruch Hu, we cannot be close to him. And to perfect our intellect, since Hashem is pure intellect, to then become close to him. Right, so to train us in the positive way to have uh, wisdom, wisdom meaning the wisdom, uh, pure intellect. And not to, and uh, and also to uh, behave in a way that's consistent with the way God wants us to behave, right? So um, it's much more complex than what I've just said, but let's leave it that way for now within the context of this presentation. It's much more complex than that for the Rambam, especially the second one is much more complex. Um, but in any event. So concrete desires of the body, the enjoyment of truth and not food. So basically that's part of what the mitzvot do. The mitzvot are there to regulate behavior, to, to help a person to change their behavior, to behave in a way that's more uh, consistent with what the Kodesh Baruch Hu wants, okay? So those who desire, so that's one of the purposes of the mitzvot. Those who desire to men in truth, not brutes, having only the appearance of Jehovah's men, is constantly endeavored to reduce the wants of the body, such as eating, love, drinking, anger, all vices, getting lust and passions, and must feel ashamed of them, set limits to them for themselves, and eating and drinking so far as indispensable. They would eat and drink only as much as useful, as necessary as food, not for the purpose of pleasure, 
They also speak little of these things and rarely congregate for such purposes. Our sages, well known, kept aloof from a banquet that was not part of the religious act, and pious men followed the example of Pinchas Ben Yar, who never dined with other persons, he refused to accept the invitation of Yehuda Nasi, Yehuda, I'm sorry, but not Yehuda Nasi, Rabbi Yehuda, um, Rabbi Yehuda, uh, of the Mishnah. So wine may be treated as food, and taken such, but the form parties for the purpose of drinking wine together must be considered more disgraceful than understand conversation with daily meat in the same household, undressed and naked, right? Because getting together just for enjoying food and drinking and is something which is absolutely disgusting, right? For the natural action of the Thessalonians is expensive for man, you can't do without it, drunk expensive to people and people man, to appear naked in the presence of people is misconduct, only according to public opinion, not according to dictates of reason, while drunkenness, which wounds the mind and the body of man, reason stamps it as a vice. So it's even worse, right? Because it's not something which is artificial inherently. There's nothing wrong with appearing naked in public. It's nothing, but, but it is it's just something, it's convention that says it's wrong. But here, when something like drunkenness, it actually ruins the mind and the body because you can't think clearly. You can't think clearly. You can't think clearly. So that's why it's so horrible. That's why it's even worse. You therefore, we desire to act as human beings must keep away from it. Again, it's very, by the way, it's very important that the Rambam is describing here, not, he's describing as a human being. This is what it means to be human. This is what it means. If you want to be a human being, this is what a human being is. He's not saying that this is what a Jew is supposed to be only. He's saying this is the way a human being is supposed to be. A Jew, in the Rambam's eyes, perhaps, is a superhuman, is somebody who goes beyond the normal constraints, who goes beyond the expectations of a human being and goes beyond that. The Rambam here is speaking about, but before you get to that higher level, you first have to be on the level of human being. And so he said, this is what it is to be a human being. So to keep away from it, even of speaking of it. In other words, in, 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 in accordance with Aristotle, Aristotle's not speaking about what it means to be a yid. He's talking about what it means to be a, a, a human being, to, to, to be the best human being that you could be. On sexual intercourse, intercourse, I need not add anything after I pointed out in the commentary of both, how it's treated by our law, which is teaching of pure wisdom, notes whatever should be included as we mentioned in the speaker, we shouldn't even talk about it. Again, something in moderation. A sage has said that at least the prophet is called holy because he didn't think of it. Consequently, he never found himself polluted with semen, right? In a similar matter, they say that Yaakov had the first issue of semen for the conception of Ruben. That was the first time he had an ejaculation. All these traditional stories have the object of teaching the nation humane conduct, right? There's an association between those two. Humane, probably here meaning, is probably more meaning the conduct of a human being. Not humane the way that we would normally understand it, humane being that it's, uh, I mean, main in this real sense here, human-like, meaning not that it's something uh, moral uh, and nice, but rather something which is consistent with what it means to be a human being, an intelligent an intelligent one. There's a well-known saying about sages, the thoughts about sin are more dangerous than the sin itself. I can offer an explanation of this, when a person is obedient, to this or that, et cetera, et cetera. Let's just skip down. Uh, so, um, so again, he goes on. Now he discusses, um, you know how we condemn lowness of speech, and justly so, for speech is likewise peculiar to man and a boon which God granted him that he distinguished from the rest of the living creatures. And that's what speech is, right? Speech distinguishes us from the rest of the living creatures. 
Thus God, according to Rambam, thus God says, who gave a mouth to man, Rav declares, the Lord God has given me a learned tongue. This gift, therefore, which God gave us in order to be able to perfect ourselves to learn to teach, must not be employed in doing that which was most degrading and perfectly disgraceful. We must not imitate the songs and tales of ignorant and lascivious people. It may be suitable for them, but it's not fit for those who are told, you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy, na a holy nation. Look at those words. Those who employ the faculty of thinking and speaking in the service of that sense, which is no honor to us, who think no more than necessary to think and love or even sing of those things, they employ and use a divine gift and actually rebellion against the giver, transgression of his commandments, right? So you see this association, right? Holy nation, so I pointed it out to you, right? Association for the Rambam, that's what holiness is. To them, the following words we point. So let me just, again, I just want to, I just wanted to sell you a broad thing. I normally like to sell things inside, but just in a broad sense, we'll just take my word for it. But it would seem that according to the Rambam, and uh, if we have a few more minutes, I can maybe show that to you inside, that for the Rambam, what is holiness? Holiness is not, I mean, that's a question, but basically, but for, for the Rambam, it would seem that holiness is a way of behaving. And holiness is a way of behaving. The person behaves, if a person behaves in a way that's consistent with what, the way God wants that person to behave, that is called holy. If a person behaves in a way where he can cultivate his intellect, that is called holy because it's attaching oneself to the ultimate holiness, which is Hashem, right? So it's a way of being, it's a way of behaving. And that's why it's going to be a problem for the Rambam, how can an object have this um, characteristic? How could a, in our case, a language have that characteristic? How could a piece of cloth, clothing, have that characteristic? How can a building have that characteristic, whether it's a mishkan, right? These are all very, very important questions for Rambam. So in any event, again, I'm just going to try to go quickly because we're way over already, so I apologize. But I multiplied the silver gold with different years above. I have also a reason and cause for calling our language the holy language. Here it is. But now we've seen the context. We've seen the context with which Rambam is presenting it. Don't think it's an exaggeration or error on my part. It's perfectly correct. The language is no special name for the organ generation. That's it. But the act generation, the semen or secretion, the Hebrews and the Hebrews, no original secret, no original expressions for these things. It only describes them in figurative language by way of hints, as if to indicate thereby that these things should not be mentioned and should therefore have no names. We want to be silent about them. When we are compelled to mention them, we must manage to employ them for that purpose. Thus, the organ generation is called the Hebrew Hebrew, et cetera, et cetera, right? Okay. So therefore we see within the, and this is the end of the, uh, this, is the, end of, uh, this is the end of that first part. So again, we see the context of the Rambam is to say, is to associate that basically everything to stay as far away as possible from any type of um, sensuality. And that is, that is holiness. And that's why Hebrew is Lachana Kodesh because it shows us, it shows us the, that to the extent to which we are supposed to stay away from sensuality. In other words, it's a tool, what it is, it's another thing to remind us of the way that we are supposed to conduct our lives. And there's just one other thing, if you don't mind, I want to show you the famous Rambam in Mishnah Torah, and I'll just put it up here in both Hebrew and English. So at the end, the Rambam writes, it has has uh, 11 chapters 
of Mishnah Torah on Hilchot Mikvaot, the laws of Mikvah, pay attention to what he says at the end. Davar barur bagalui shatumot bahataharot zerot hakatuhen. They are decrees of the Torah. The enan midabrim shadaato shall ad enom made devarim. They're not among the things shadaato shall adam machraato. They're not from the type of things that the uh, I don't know what it means. The intellect of man can decide about or can, you have to figure out how to, how to translate that Rambam the way that the Rambam really has in mind, not necessarily the way it's translated here. That a person could be Makriya, can speak about definitively, can make definitive statements about. They are within the category of Chukim. The Chain and the Chukim for the Rambam means not things that don't have a reason at all, but rather things which do have a reason, but the reason is not known to us. But they're not arbitrary. For the Rambam, the distinction between Chukim and Mishpatim is not that the Mishpatim are things that have a, that have a reason and Chukim are things which are arbitrary, but Chukim are the types of things where the reason is not known to us. The Chain had to be la, and similarly to be la, Right? To be la, immersion from tumot. It's included in the category of chukim. It's not some sort of filth or excrement. That will be rinsed, that will pass with water. In other words, it'll be rinsed off chemically with water. Some sort of chemical reaction between it and the water removes it. It's a gzerata katub. It is a, it is a, um, again, gzerata katub, however you translate that, it is a decree of the Torah. And it matters, and what matters is intention. It's entirely dependent on intention. In other words, if a person who is tame goes into a mikveh, and they don't have kavana, it achieves nothing. In other words, there's no, according to the Rambam, there's no chemical action between the water and the tuma that, 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 that has changed the person, but rather what's changed the person is the intent when he goes into the mikveh, and perhaps, perhaps the mikveh is only adding, is only acting as a powerful device which triggers the proper thoughts. Rufikach amru chachamim taval velo uchzak ki ilu lo taval. That if a person um, immersed but didn't intend to become pure, pure, he wasted his time. He did not. He, it's as if he didn't was not tovel. Vafa pichen remez yesh kedavar. Since he was intended, he is therefore Tahor. Nothing has changed in him, in his body at all. 
oven v'de'ot ra'ot. So thought, similarly, somebody who sets his mind, let's say through psychotherapy, for instance, right? Not necessarily Torah, but let's say even perhaps through psychotherapy or any other thing that any other thing that a person does in order to become a better person, in order to become a person who wants to be free of characteristics that are contrary to what Hashem wants. That is called somebody who is becoming, that is a metaher. In other words, that process is something which is taking a person out of Tumah. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.